Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. Kind of a sad start to this week's episode. King Charles has cancer. So that was just reported today by a number of news outlets, including the BBC. King Charles has cancer. We don't know what cancer it is. All we know is that last week it was reported that he went in to get his royal prostate checked. And apparently his prostate is fine. But the doctors were like, uh, you've got cancer. That's a brutal way to find out you've got cancer. For the doctors to be like, hey, good news and bad news. Good news, your prostate is absolutely perfect. Spick and span. No issues whatsoever. Uh, the bad news, uh, three months to live. So, But the prostate's good. The prostate is good. So that's a shame for King Charles. Before I continue, I do just want to uh, let you know that I'm a cancer survivor myself. I had testicular cancer a few years ago. I went through many, many rounds of chemotherapy, many, many rounds of surgery. Very nearly died several times. The reason I just mentioned that is because I'm going to be making jokes about King Charles and cancer over the next probably 20 minutes or so. And it's important for you to know that I'm allowed to make those jokes. I don't make the rules in comedy. All I know is that I'm allowed to make jokes about cancer because I've had it myself. You know, Jews can make jokes about Jews. Black people can make jokes about black people. People with cancer can make jokes about cancer. That's just the way the rules work. I don't, don't come at me. I'm just... Don't hate... The player hate the game. So, King Charles has cancer. Nothing particularly funny in and of itself that King Charles has cancer. What I do think is funny is how there's really no mythology anymore around kings and monarchs the way there used to be. You know, because in the past, you know, I'm talking, you know, centuries ago, and it was King Henry and or King Charles I. In the past, there was this tremendous amount of like mythology and reverence for monarchs because there was this idea that they were chosen divinely. They were chosen by God. That's why they're in the positions they are in. Of course, that wasn't true. Of course, they were just beneficiaries of the genetic lottery that they happened to be born into the royal family. And let's be honest, it's not much of a win in the genetic lottery when you consider the fact that the royal family has been inbreeding for centuries and as a result, many of them are defective creatures in in many ways. But setting that aside, if you were a king, you won some sort of lottery in that you were born into immense wealth and privilege. And assuming you didn't die as an infant from SIDS, because of the genetic malformities that were in your DNA, assuming you kind of like lived past the age of 12 or so, you had a pretty privileged life. And people thought that you were divinely chosen. People thought that you were the king because God put you in that position. There was just so much reverence and respect around around them. And nowadays, boy, has that fallen away. Nowadays, people are reporting on King Charles's prostate. I think about that. Think about that. You know, centuries ago, if you were a king, you could just behead your wives with the lift of a finger because people assumed that you were acting in accordance with God and God's wishes because you were divinely chosen. That's how much respect and mythology surrounded these leaders. And and now we're talking about King Charles's prostate. We're talking about his PSA levels in his bloodstream. It's it's just a strange time to be a king, you know, in the modern world because you know the facade has dropped. The the veneer has fallen away. 
Because we now recognize that King Charles is just an old man. He's just an old man who happened to be born into this family and now he's just an old guy with cancer. Like, there's no mythology around him. Like, when he went and got his prostate checked, and I'm not having a... A go at King Charles here for getting his prostate checked and publicizing it. I think it was a great thing that he did do that because after he publicized that he was getting his prostate checked, apparently prostate examinations around the UK went up like 200%. They just they skyrocketed because all these men around the country were being like, oh, well, if that old fuckstick can get an enlarged prostate then maybe I can too. So it was good that he publicized it and it's good that he you know, talked about it in the media because it, it raises awareness about the fact that old men do need prostate exams. But the fact that we're talking about the king having a couple of fingers going up the bum, it just shows how much the monarchy has crumbled over the last few centuries that that facade of divinity has fallen away it's hard to imagine that a man with the divine right to rule needs a doctor to shove two fingers up his anus it's hard to imagine those two things coexisting and so now in modern times we realize oh he's just an old man and he has to get his prostate checked because he has to. He probably wakes up during the night to pee. I mean, let's be honest, King Charles, he probably pees a lot. He's probably up every two hours to empty his compressed bladder. And he's the king of the country, and he also pees every two hours. And he also has very, very fat sausage-like fingers. There's no mythology around the monarchy anymore. Do you know who has maintained that mythology? Kim Jong-un. The Kim dynasty. Say what you will about the Kim dynasty. And the people of North Korea cannot because they'll be executed with anti-aircraft weaponry. So they cannot say what they would like to about Kim Jong-un. But I can because I have the privilege of being an Australian outside the the grasp of the North Korean secret police. Mind you, I say that, I'm pretty sure their tentacles do spread around the world. My point is, the Kim dynasty has maintained the aura of divinity for many, many years, for almost like 80 years now. Because people do still see Kim Jong-un in North Korea as a divine figure, as a godlike figure. And look, that's mostly because they aren't allowed to have the internet and they aren't aware of how to recognize the signs of type 2 diabetes, which is, of course, what Kim Jong-un is suffering from, that and gout and some other kind of diseases of the privileged. Kim Jong-un, despite the starvation that he's forcing upon his people, despite the concentration camps that he sets up for political dissidents, despite the summary executions that he continues to perpetuate against his enemies despite the fact that he's flouting international law by firing nuclear weapons over Japan. Yes, he's got his faults. However, you've got to respect a man who's been able to achieve something that the royal family has not. He's been able to maintain that facade of mythology and divinity that you just don't have around King Charles. Like... Kim Jong-un should not be seen as a divine god. He should be seen as a, a chubby guy who, let's be honest, probably needs to 
you know, subscribe to Weight Watchers and like he should, you shouldn't see him on North Korean state TV. You should see him in one of the Weight Watchers commercials and he should be like, hey, you know, a lot of my people in my country, you know, don't have the problems that I have. They don't struggle with their weight because, you know, they, they don't have food and they eat cockroaches and grasshoppers and forage for mushrooms in the fields. But I have an issue uh, with my with my weight, and that's why I signed up with Jenny Craig. And you know, the calorie counting app that they've developed is really great. It keeps me on track. It it counts all the calories in each grain of rice that I consume. And you know, because of Jenny Craig, I've managed to actually lose eight kilograms over the last sixteen months. So you know, you can do it too. That's that's what Kim Jong Un would be would be if he were in like a Western country that has democracy and has, you know, freedom of speech and has an open internet. But he has successfully kept his people isolated and he's managed to maintain the, the hermit kingdom that he's led for a number of years now. He's managed to keep his people closed off from the rest of the world to the point where he can maintain that mythology. He can maintain that that aura and respect and reverence. Because there's one, you know, say what you will about Kim Jong-un. The man commands respect. You always see his, his supporters, his citizens, his fans. They are thrilled to see him. Whenever they see him, they're jumping up and down. They're, they're waving. And they know they have to do that because if they don't, they're going to be on the next train to the concentration camp. But... He commands respect from his citizens, from his, from his subjects. You know, he's maintained the respect, the reverence of his people. King Charles has not. Uh, people are talking about King Charles's prostate. That is not a sign of respect. People are talking about King Charles the same way that we talk about grandpa and whether or not it's time to put him in a home. That's the level of reverence that King Charles holds right now over his people. It's, it's a sad reflection on the demise of monarchy and it's a sad reflection on the demise of King Charles. Because you know right now the family is gathering around Charles, you know, and there's a good chance he won't even be part of these conversations because the man's 75, he's just been diagnosed with cancer. There's a good chance he's on the way out. So the family's gathering around and they're, they're having that discussion that all families have to have eventually about your grandpa. You know, you have to discuss, do you put him in a home? You have to discuss who has medical power over him, who has power of attorney over him. These are the conversations that his family is now discussing. And one thing that they're discussing right now is, well, do we treat the cancer that he has? That sounds quite macabre. But it is a genuine conversation you have when old people get cancer. I know this for a fact. So my grandmother, she got to like 84, 85 or so. And she actually was diagnosed with a blood cancer, with myeloma in uh, her final years. Now, it was a very slow-growing cancer. And the doctors were like, well, should we treat it? You know, if we treat it, I guess we might be able to get rid of the cancer. But also, is there any point treating it? Because, you know, the, the chemotherapy, the treatment will be quite physically tolling on her. And also, you know, she's in her 80s and she's good chance you're going to die from something else anyway. Let's be frank here. And also, if you are feeling sorry for my grandmother, please know that you should not feel sorry for her. I certainly did not. My grandmother was a pack-a-day smoker since the age of like 15 or 16. My grandmother like smoked a packet of cigarettes pretty much every day for like 60 years. On top of that, she, was, she also had... Uh, she had diabetes, but she 
did not do anything about it. So she had diabetes and it was pretty much her own fault for having diabetes. Like, despite knowing that she had diabetes, she was just still a cake constantly. She would just still inject sugar directly into her veins, very much against the advice and recommendations of her medical team. Her doctors were like, Esther, you know how you got type 2 diabetes, which is your own fault because you've just been eating shit your entire life and the smoking didn't help either. You know how it's your fault that you've got fluctuating levels of insulin and it's you know, destroying your arteries and your internal organs. Have you considered perhaps maybe just pulling back a bit on the donuts? Like if you, could you just cut back from like six donuts to even four donuts a day? Even that would, would be something. That might give you a, a couple extra years. It might stave off the stroke that will eventually end you. Can you do that? And my grandmother was like, just pretended that she couldn't speak English. And she could. She could speak English. She knew what the doctor was saying. We would even tell her in Hebrew. We'd be like, hey, here's the doctor. I know you speak English, but here is the doctor's recommendations translated into Hebrew for you. And then she'd be like, oh, I don't speak Hebrew anymore. Can you do it in Yiddish? And then my mother, who spoke a bit of Yiddish, would give her the medical information in broken Yiddish. And then my grandmother would just pretend to be brain dead. So I guess my point is don't feel sorry for my grandmother because... You know, she was a pack a day smoker for 60 years. She, you know, had uncontrolled diabetes due to her own refusal to make even the most basic changes to her diet. So, really, she des- what I'm saying is that she really deserved to get cancer. And I say that with no malice. I'm just saying she deserved to have cancer. Like, it's, it's actually an injustice that she only develops this myeloma, this blood cancer, like in her 80s. It's a genuine, it's a travesty. It's an injustice because I just look at my own life. I did not, I've never smoked, literally never smoked, uh, literally never like taken drugs, never had diabetes. I've, I've never eaten asbestos. I've never... I've never exposed myself to uh, granite that would cause mesothelioma. I've never been to Chernobyl. What I'm saying is I've never put my head in a microwave. I've never engaged in any type of action or behavior or, or habit that would cause me to have cancer. And despite me being pretty good about avoiding carcinogens over my life, I still did get cancer and almost died a few years ago. So I don't have sympathy for my grandmother who got cancer. It took, it, took, it, took, it took 60 years for her to get cancer. I don't have sympathy for that. She should have died at 30, really. If there were any just in the world, she would have died at 30 and uh, my parents wouldn't have existed, my mum wouldn't exist and I wouldn't exist. If there were any just in the world, what I'm saying is she would be dead and I would never have existed. But... Due to some, you know, medical miracle. She lives until her 80s. And then she got cancer and we had to have that discussion. Do we treat it or not? And after we gave her, we gave her a bit of chemo. And, you know, it took a big toll on her body, you know, because she's in her 80s and she has diabetes. And the doctors were like, look, it's working a bit. Like, it's the chemo's working a bit, but is this really... Is this really worth it? Is it really worth putting her through chemotherapy for the last few months or years of her life? And so they just didn't treat her and eventually she, she died from, I think, just being old. I don't know if it was the cancer that got her in the end. I think she died with cancer, but not from cancer. You know, kind of, you know how people were during the pandemic, people were like, oh, they didn't die from COVID, they died with COVID. And there was that distinction that people were trying to make, that anti-vaxxers were trying to make to justify their decisions. I think of my grandmother, she died. She just happened to die with cancer. I think the cancer was just there. And I got to say, if you're the cancer, you'd be, you'd be feeling pretty emasculated by that. 
Because if you're cancer, you're probably thinking, oh, I'm the big dog around here. Like if you're cancer in my grandmother's body, you're probably thinking, I'm going to kill this bitch. Like this is all me, baby. I don't need much time at all. Give me a couple of weeks. I'll put this bitch in the ground. But the cancer was a real pussy. A real, real softy, you know, snowflake cancer is what my grandmother had. And the cancer didn't kill her. It just kind of like accompanied her to, to her death. Pretty pathetic cancer, if you ask me. Pretty pathetic stuff from that myeloma. So I guess the point I was getting at was I'm not sure if they'll treat Charles because the man's 75 years old. He's been diagnosed with cancer. We don't know what cancer it is. If it's an aggressive cancer that could kill him soon, maybe they'll give it a shot. Maybe they'll be like, here's some chemo. Let's see what happens. To be honest, it's amazing that that would be stiff for for King Charles to go bald now. That would be stiff. That would make me feel a bit of sympathy and empathy for the man because, you know, he's still got a pretty good head of hair. 75 years old, and he's still got a pretty good head of hair. I mean, you look at William, who is just so bald, so, so bald, and has been so bald for years. I think William, I think, was, was bald since he was like, you know, like 20. Just really, really embarrassing stuff for William. Like, he should be in one of those Ashley Martin ads, you know, where they're like, hey, you know, Prince William, what was your turning point? And he's like, oh, my turning point was when the Daily Mail ran a headline calling me a bald cunt. That was my turning point. But look, William, he's bald. That's embarrassing for him. King Charles, not bald. Very impressive for a man at 75 to still have a very strong head of hair. Maybe he went to Turkey in his in his youth. Maybe he went to Turkey, got the hair plugs. I don't know what he's done, but he's got a great head of hair. It would be pretty unlucky to now have to do chemo and then go bald despite, you know, doing so well to maintain a pretty good head of hair for so many decades. Because as someone who's been through chemo and who's lost their hair, that does suck because, you know, everyone now knows, you know, that something's wrong. Everyone knows you're going through something. I remember when I lost my hair, I I went and did a gig to do to try some stand-up and I bumped into like a friend at the gig and he was like, oh my God, he hadn't seen me for ages. And he was like, oh my God, you're bald. And I said, no, 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 I've just got cancer because I did not want him to worry about me. Because I think baldness is quite, it's quite crippling. It is quite crippling. And it's, and it's usually terminal. Cancer can often be treated. Not always, but it can often be treated. Baldness, once you're bald, it's, yeah, it's pretty terminal. It's pretty terminal. It's pretty sad to see that. So it would be sad if King Charles went bald, especially given how well he's done to maintain his hair over so many years. So it'll be interesting to see if they treat it or not, how they approach it. This really is just the problem with monarchy, though. So King Charles, he's only been king for, what, a a year, less than a year? When was the coronation? I I can't remember. Less than a year, let's say. And it's so unfortunate for him that he, he becomes king and he just has, he waited 75 years to become king and he just has no real, you know, time to enjoy it. Like if he gets cancer and dies, that's so, that's so unlucky that he became king and just didn't get a chance to do any fun king things. You know, he didn't get a chance to, to really break in the golden chariot. He only got one ride. In the golden chariot. That's a fun thing to do if you're a king. Not many people get to ride in a golden carriage. That's pretty fun. It's pretty fun to do it also during a cost of living crisis. That's hilarious. I mean, to be able to ride around the streets of London and wave at the peasants who who cannot put 
food on the table. From your golden chariot to wave at the peasants from your horse-drawn carriage whilst they can't even afford to put fuel in their cars. I mean, what an incredible irony that is that only he could enjoy. And he only really got to do that once at his coronation. And now the chances are he's going to die. And he doesn't get to do that again. That's really sad. He didn't really get to enjoy being king. And that is really the problem with the whole concept of monarchy is that, you know, you don't, you don't know when uh, the crown is going to be bestowed upon you. I mean, for Charles, he gets it at 75. Maybe he gets a year or two out of it. You look at like Queen Elizabeth. She got a pretty young. I don't know how old she was. I think she was a teenager or something, whatever. She had it for like 50, 60 years. I mean, so she lucked out. She got a real young. There's always also the problem. This is how dumb monarchy is. Like, the king can be anywhere between uh, zero and 120. That is a crazy large uh, spectrum of age for a job. There are very few jobs in the world where they hire you where they're looking to hire anyone from zero to infinity, essentially. Very few jobs have that type of age range on their LinkedIn, on their seek.com descriptions. Usually it'll be like, I mean, they won't say what age they're after, but they'll be like, hey, we want someone with this much experience, which means you kind of have to be maybe over 40. And then they'll say, also, we want you to be proficient in uh, Microsoft Excel, which means you have to be under like 60. So they kind of work out, you know, they, they kind of pitch it to a certain age group just by letting you know what kind of skills you need to have for the job. But with being the king or the queen, you can be any age, any age, and you can be, you can be, the, a divine ruler of a very, very large plot of land and have a lot of money at your disposal, have a golden chariot at your disposal. That is a, I think, I think it's fun. I do think it's fun to have that available because, look, let's just say, you know, Charles dies and then it goes to William. He's next in line. Now, if William got it, that'd be good. I don't know how old he is, like maybe like 40 or so. That's probably a good age to become king. You know, you're not, like you're mature enough to have to handle responsibility because, you know, if you're like in your 20s, you're an idiot. And if you're like a teenager, you're even dumber. And if you're a child, you're a child. So, you know, if he gets it in his like 40s, probably, that's probably good, good for the monarchy, good for the kingdom to have a leader who's kind of mature, but also not so old that he's demented and going to die from cancer or something anytime soon. But let's just say it goes to William and let's just say, God forbid, you know, he is struck down by his baldness. I mean, I, I don't think anyone has died from baldness before, but in this hypothetical, his baldness is so crippling, so devastating, so severe that he, he ends up dying from baldness. So Charles is gone, Williams is gone, and then it goes to his William's kids. I don't know which one's the oldest. I think it's Prince George. I think it'll be George. And he's like, what's he like, nine, ten? I don't know. I don't know how old the kids are. I'm sure Prince Andrew knows. I'm sure Prince Andrew knows. I'm sure he knows exactly how old those children are. But that's for more personal uh, gratification reasons. The point is, like, we can, we could theoretically go from having a head of state who's 75 to a head of state who's like nine in the space of a couple of months. That's a bizarre, bizarre quirk of the monarchy. And I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, it's not just the monarchy, I suppose, because it's not just the monarchy that's getting older because you're looking at leaders all around the world that are getting older. I mean, you look at America, they're the two people that are going to contest this year's election are Joe Biden, 
who I believe is 140, and Donald Trump, who's like, what's he, 77, 78, something like that. Two old guys. And that's the, that's kind of where the world is trending, I think. People are kind of like, there is a trend towards conservatism and conservatives tend to be older people. So I think that's the trend that we're just going to see older and older leaders all around the world. And people keep talking about how, oh, what if Trump gets, you know, what if he's found guilty in one of his many, many criminal proceedings that he's currently facing? What if he's found guilty and he goes to jail and he still wins the election, which is theoretically possible, and then he's governing the the country from jail that the white house essentially becomes a federal corrections unit people are theor- people are discussing how that's a crazy hypothetical for trump well there's also the hypothetical that joe biden wins the election and then he is governing the country from a hospice so i guess my point is putting old people in charge of stuff has its inherent risks. Maybe they'll die. Maybe they'll get cancer. I do wish Charles all the best. I hope he's okay. From one cancer survivor to another, I hope he's okay. I hope they're able to treat it. Or at the very least, I hope that it's just one of those slow-growing cancers and it just accompanies him to his death but doesn't actually kill him. I think that would be a pretty good outcome. Big news this week out of Sydney. One of the country's oldest all-boys schools is becoming co-ed. It's going co-ed. This school, it's called the Newington College in Sydney. It was set up, I believe, in 1873. So it's about 150 years old now. It's been an all-boys school forever, but... This year, school has just kicked off again. Kids are back at school. And for the first time in the history of the Newington College, girls are now attending school. Now, as someone who went to a co-ed school with boys and girls, I think that's better than the alternative. I don't... I, I, I never went to an all-boys school, so I can't really comment too much on what it's like to go to an all-boys school. But the sense I get about all-boys schools is that they're pretty rapey. That's the vibe I get from private all-boys Catholic schools. Per capita, I feel like they produce the most amount of rapists of anywhere in the country. I don't know what the data is on that, but that's always the vibe that I'm getting. You know, you always you, know, you hear about like a girl being, you know, assaulted at a party, sexually assaulted at a party, and invariably the culprit, you know, went to one of these elite, private, all-boys schools, usually religious, Catholic, Protestant, whatever. They do tend to produce a lot of sexual predators, And I think it's because the boys just aren't used to being around women. They don't understand what women are. They they don't understand consent. And then they become rapists. So that might be a broad generalization. But it's true and it's correct that... If you're sending your boy, if you're sending your son to an all-boys school, there's a good chance you're going to need a lawyer at some point down the track, which is good because, you know, many of these boys do have fathers and uncles who are lawyers and magistrates who can help them get a lighter sentence. So, if you are going to send your child to an all-boys school and you're going to you are if you are planning to raise a rapist, I would just make sure that you have, you know, a barrister in the family who can charge reasonable rates, maybe a flat fee. Have a have a criminal lawyer 
on retainer for the family if you are going to send your your son to an all-boys school. Because there's a good chance he's going to not take no for an answer. There's a good chance he's not going to realise that the drunk girl at the party is incapable of consenting to what he wants to do to her. So that's, I guess, where I'm coming from, first of all, in terms of co-ed versus versus all-boys schools. And look, I can only draw my personal experience. I went to an all-boys, I went to a co-ed school, I went to a co-ed school, and I haven't raped anyone. So just in my own personal experience, I think that co-ed schools have that benefit. They have that benefit. I hope that's not a controversial statement to make, by the way. I hope it's not controversial to come out and now and say, I have not raped anyone. I know it sounds like something that a rapist would say. I'm aware of that. I'm aware that I'm digging myself into a hole right now, even doubling down on this. I'd like to remind my dear listeners and any uh, policemen and detectives who might listen to this in the future, uh, this is a comedy podcast and I'm making jokes. This is meant to be funny. So I've never raped anyone and I went to a co-ed school. The point is that a lot of, a lot of people are upset that this Newington College, which has been an all-boys school for like 150 years. They're upset that it's gone co-ed. Now, look, I, I do understand why they might be upset. You know, it's, it's typically like, it's typically boomer men, by the way, who, are, who have been filmed and interviewed protesting this. They started a petition online demanding that the school change its course and, and go back to just being all-boys schools. I get it. Look, if you're a boomer man, and let's be honest, these men are, they went to, these are, these are alumni of the school. So these, these blokes who attended this elite all-boys private school and now in their 50s and 60s, you know, probably retired, probably did very well for themselves, probably quite wealthy. You know, they've got a couple of properties. They're taking full advantage of negative gearing. They're retired and they don't have much to do. And on top of that, cruise season has now ended. So they don't have many cruises to go on right now. We're getting towards the end of cruise season. So they're bored and they need to find a cause to get behind. And so a lot of these bored old dudes are protesting against girls being allowed to attend this school. Now, I understand where they're coming from. I understand they want to preserve the the culture of rape that the school created for them. They want to... They, they're, they're probably wondering, well, if we, you know, if this becomes co-ed, when, where is the new crop of sexual predators going to come from? You know, that's a big part of their culture. It's a big part of their history. And, and they're probably worried about that. You know, they're probably thinking, well, if, if the school isn't going to teach them to become, you know, sexual deviants, I'm going to have to do that at home myself, which is, takes time out of my day. You know, I don't, I send my children to school to be educated. I don't, want to have to teach them, you know, how to roofie a, a, a schoolgirl myself. So I see where they're coming from. They're upset that this culture and history is being eroded by, you know, modernity. So they're upset. But I, I, I will say this, fellas. It's, there's bad optics here, isn't it? Because essentially what they're doing is they're standing outside of school and they're basically saying girls should not be allowed to attend this school. Can we agree that's a bad look protesting against women and girls getting education? I mean, the only other place where you see that happening is in Afghanistan because it's currently being ruled over by the Taliban. Those are kind of the only two places where you see grown adult men getting angry about women receiving an education. I just think the optics are bad. It's, it's not a good look when you and the Taliban agree on something. As a general rule, you should not agree in policy with an extremist Islamic terror organization that we spent 20 years trying to overthrow. 
I guess what I'm saying to these men is that if you're protesting against girls getting an education, you're basically spitting in the face of the diggers who died in Afghanistan. That's essentially what you're doing. So they're very upset that, that women are getting the same opportunities as boys. Now, what this, and they're actually going to sue the school. There are plans to sue the school. And of course, there are plans to sue the school because let's not forget that a lot of these men are lawyers and barristers. It might be the first time that they're involved in a civil matter. Normally, they'd be involved in a, a criminal case, defending one of their children or nephews. But they're considering launching a civil claim against the school because they're saying that the school is essentially acting against its own, its own trust. So when the school was set up in 1873, I believe it was set up as, like a, as a trust. It basically had like a, a founding document, a constitution, and the school has to, abide by that, has to abide by that constitution, that document, that trust that it was founded upon. And according to this document... The school, when it was founded in 1973, as an all-boys school, did not contemplate that girls would would be educated at this school. Now, I'm I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that when that school was set up in 1873, the founders of the school did not contemplate that girls would be educated there, and I think that's because it was it was 1873. So. This was a time where, you know, women uh, couldn't vote. This was a time where, like, women, like, didn't have jobs. Like, this was a time where women were literally just chattels. They were just, like, possessions of men. Like, 1873, in 1873, there was essentially one gender. It was just men. Like, women had not been discovered yet in 1873. People say how there are too many genders these days. People will be like, oh my God, you know, if you go on Google and you type in how many genders there are, Google will say there's 12 genders, which is true. According to Google, there is like 12 genders now. Now, you might think that's a lot of genders, but I think that's better than uh, one gender because that's what it was in 1873. It was like, there's one gender. We have one gender and then we just have like uh, an object, a possession that men own and that's and then eventually they worked out that women existed and then women got the right to vote and they got the right to go to school and they got the right to get jobs etc 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 and now it's 2024 and everything's perfect everything's perfect we've achieved a perfect equality and harmony between the sexes women have all the same rights and privileges that men have and everything is perfect everything is hunky-dory I'm being sarcastic, by the way. I'm being sarcastic. It is a shame that when you do a podcast with no audience, other than the you, my dear listener, there's no laughter soundtrack. So people can't tell when I'm making a joke, when I'm being facetious, when I'm being silly, when I'm being sarcastic. Because you don't have the audio track behind what I'm saying. So if you ever listen to something that I say on a podcast and you think it sounds a bit wrong, please imagine an audio track underneath it so that you understand that I'm, I'm telling a joke. I'm being a bit funny. I'm being a bit funny. So, of course, the founding documents of this school did not contemplate that girls would be educated because no girls were educated back in 1873. And the whole point of having co-ed schools was to uh, help with that. The whole point of having co-ed schools was to... Uh, give women the chance to uh, work and have their own money, have their own independence, have their own autonomy. And also the hope was that if women spent more time with boys in a school setting, that boys might not grow up to be rapists. So I think it's great that the girls are going to the school. I think it's nice that boys might actually learn about consent. They might actually learn how to relate to the opposite sex in a healthy manner because let's be honest, right now, 99% of these boys are getting their education on women from Andrew Tate videos. So I think anything that helps to counterbalance that is probably a step in the right direction. Before I go, 
I enjoyed talking about last week's weekly hero. It's a new segment I'd like to introduce to this podcast. And I'll bring it in to the I'll bring it into the episode if I feel like we have a weekly hero who deserves to be celebrated. Last week, my weekly hero was a Chinese man who is famous for smoking cigarettes whilst he runs marathons. He was my weekly hero because he was essentially taking performance dehancing drugs. If you didn't listen to that episode, go back, listen to the last five minutes. I thought it was, it was pretty funny stuff. Pretty, pretty funny stuff. This week's weekly hero, I wasn't even sure if I'd do this segment this week, but we do have a hero, thank God. This week's weekly hero is the actor Jacob Elordi. Now, I don't know much about Jacob Elordi. He's in the movie Saltburn, which people seem to be liking. Um, I haven't watched it yet. I do plan to. I think it's a very gay movie. I think there's a scene where... I, I think everyone knows... If you haven't seen the movie, you've probably heard about that one scene where a guy drinks... licks bath water that has another man's semen in it. Sorry for spoiling the movie. But that happens in the movie. Anyway, that's a bit of a side note. That's not why he's my weekly hero. He's not my weekly hero for... For drinking semen. That's not at all. Not that that's, there's anything wrong with that. You know, I don't think that's fine. If that's if you're into that, if that's how you get your protein, you do you. You do you. But that's not why he's a hero. He's a hero in my view, in my estimation. Because he was accosted by a producer for the Kyle and Jackie O radio show the other day. And... This producer was kind of harassing him in Sydney. The producer was kind of hounding him and being like, hey, can I have some of your bath water? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, a, uh, a bit of a nod to that famous scene in the movie. You know, he's like, can I get some bath water? Because I want to give it to Kyle and Jackie o on the show and they're going to drink it live on air. And Jacob Lord is like, who the fuck are you? Uh go fuck off, you're annoying, leave me alone. And of course, the Kyle and Jackie O producer continues to hound Jacob Elordi because, you know, if you're a producer of Kyle and Jackie O, you're a a scumbag. I mean, Kyle and Jackie O are scumbags, so think about how much of a piece of shit you have to be to be, like, working for them and enabling them to be scumbags. This guy is, like, the scumbag to the scumbags. So this producer keeps harassing Jacob Elordi, you know, as, you know media people and paparazzi tend to do. And, and Jacob Elordi apparently, you know, punched him in the face, pushed him up against the wall. And, you know, now that he's kind of now been in a bit of trouble because he assaulted someone. But I think he's a hero because anyone who punches or attacks a, a, a radio producer who works for Kyle and Jackie O is, I think, doing God's work. I think they're a hero in my estimation. In the same vein, if you punch or attack, you know, a reporter or a or a cameraman or a producer who works for a current affair, same thing. I, the the people who work for a current affair in Channel Nine are the most annoying low lives in the country because what they do is they just accost people on the streets and they'll be like, "Oh, why didn't you?" Uh, paid that money back to that old lady who you scammed. And it's like, fuck off. He's just trying to reverse park his car. Give him a second to park his car. This is already stressful enough. Enough trying to reverse between a Mercedes and, a, and an Audi. Let the man reverse park his car before you harass him and accost him in the middle of the street. They're always accosting people on the street. You know, sometimes they'll accost a pedophile. They'll be like, oh, why did you touch that little boy? And it's like, I know he's a pedophile, but can you just, can you make an appointment with him? You don't have to accost everyone on the street. Sometimes I'll side with a pedophile. That's how annoying that these motherfuckers are. Sometimes these assholes from a current affair will go up to a pedophile on the street and be like, are you going to apologize to your victims? And the pedophile, he's just, you know, got his, he's got his uh, hat down low. He's got his glasses, he's got his sunglasses on. He's trying to hide his identity. And it's like, I know he's a pedophile, but can we stop accosting people in the streets? The streets are sacred. If you want to accuse a pedophile, 
You just do it the old-fashioned way. You, uh, you pretend to be a 12-year-old on MSN Messenger and you lure them to your house like a proper journalist and then you expose them for being pedophiles there. Put in, put in the hard yards if you're going to accost a pedophile, if you're going to expose a pedophile. Do it properly. Put some goddamn effort in. Put some goddamn effort into your journalism. So, Jacob Elordi, you're my weekly hero this week. And anyone who punches a producer or a journalist who was just trying to do this bullshit, gotcha, clickbait, TMZ journalism, paparazzi bullshit, anyone who assaults these people will be my weekly hero going forward. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. That was a fun one. Hope Prince Charles is okay. I hope that those girls get an education. If you enjoyed today's episode, give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple. Five stars would be very much appreciated. Some people have been giving it bad reviews recently because I keep talking about Israel and Palestine. So if you could counterbalance that by giving it a five-star review because you enjoyed my hot take on King Charles' cancer diagnosis, that would be very much appreciated. It would also be appreciated if you came to uh, see me live. I'm doing shows in Perth from the 13th to the 18th of February as part of the Fringe World Festival. I'm also in Fremantle from the 16th to the 18th of February as also as part of the Fringe World Festival. Then I'll be in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival from the 28th of March to the 21st of April. 22 shows across that month. All the tickets are at michaelschafer.com. Head there, support me, support this podcast. That will be very, very much appreciated. You guys have a great week. Take care of yourselves. And I'll see you next week for another episode of Topical. Good night.